But the there the one advantage I'd say is that there are kind of four or five publicly traded companies that look like as you see reform kind of take over will kind of be your Pepsi, Coke per se, however you want to look at the larger companies. I think those ones that have that kind of a lead are in a very interesting position as long as they can kind of hang on and we do get incremental reform. But myself, like running a cannabis business right now, I'd much rather be running a private company. From the Pod Connect Studios, high in the Rockies at the beautiful Beaver Creek Resort, it's the Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Today on the MJ Bulls Raising Cannabis Capital Podcast, we are joined by Jason Vidati, the CEO of Story Cannabis. Jason, welcome to the show. Yep, thanks. Well, I'm glad you could join us today. This is actually really exciting for me because your experience in the cannabis industry is, is well, listeners are going to find out shortly. You've been at the epicenter of MSO activity for so many years and whether you've been in, involved in fun, founding a company or acquiring companies or merging companies or selling MSOs, there's really not many people in the industry that I can come up with that can rival your experience in, in this sector of the industry. And you, you've done it kind of quiet. You're not out there with a lot of fanfare, but you've done it quietly. And I mean, we could do two or three shows just on your experience, but in, in the interest of time, I, today I want to focus more on your present than your past. And I thought maybe we'd, we could kick this off and talk about story. It's relatively a young company, but despite being young, it's one of the fastest growing MSOs in the country, and maybe give us the quick story to get things started. Yeah, we've been at it about a couple of years now, and we started in Maryland. So we've got a full vertical there, and that just went wreck. So we got a good windfall and a very, I would say, difficult climate at the very least for cannabis. We bought a business back that we had sold between our harvest exit and story, which was called Oasis. We bought that back from Air Strategies. We got back in that market and realized that three retails really wasn't enough, that the consolidation that has been taking place there um, made it more difficult. So we soon got our sell. We have 11 stores there now. So we consolidated quite a bit and we feel like that's enough to kind of keep us competitive. We're operational in Ohio. We have We've got some stores open there. Our goal is to kind of get to four, which is max. We're hoping that we see rec pass in November. We're optimistic that's going to take place. And we're also going to be working on some retail store in, in New Jersey as well. So that's four. And our core competency of the company is really we've been pretty competitive applying for licenses historically. And so we applied in Texas and we're lobbying in North Carolina and we'll kind of keep navigating through that process and keep looking for opportunistic type of assets to purchase as we keep going through the process. But we've learned a lot. And so we're, I would say, a little more target practice than shotgun spray at this point. Yeah. It seems like a lot of your growth has been fueled by identifying these undervalued assets. Is that going to be sort of the strategy moving forward? Yeah. I would say like first strategy would be win it because there's that's the highest and most accretive thing you can do. And obviously there's legacy markets that are down the road, whether they be just returning medical, late kind of cycle medical into rec or full recreational. We'd rather see 
a mature medical market, then move into a rec market because there's that event that takes place between medical and rec. So we'll focus there, but I wouldn't say anything's an elimination. We will, I mean, at this point, there's no reason to go in the markets that aren't oligopolistic, right? Like, I don't mean just, I don't think if you gave us assets in Oregon or California that we'd go do that or operate them at this point, just doesn't make financial sense. And the playbook's kind of out there. I mean, I'm not saying anything that anybody doesn't already know. There's probably a dozen states that are much better economic option, opportunity than, the, than some of the latter. The West Coast has been very liberal. And another thing that we try to stay away from are markets where the regulator just doesn't care. And so if you have to deal with illicit operators not paying tax, competing with someone following regulatory process and paying tax, I mean, that makes it fundamentally impossible to compete. Yeah. Yeah, I see that in California. A lot of companies unfairly are being pushed out by the unregulated market. It's really unfortunate. You've had experience with publicly traded companies, but Story is a private company. At this time in the industry, do you feel like you have an advantage as a privately held company? Yeah, I most certainly do. I do. There are some advantages to being public, having liquidity in your stock, for instance, you have an advantage a lot of times with sellers. But right now, stocks kind of being at depressed values doesn't really allow those public companies to use their stock. So at this exact moment, I don't see really any advantages to being public. As a private company, we're much less regulated from the perspective when on quarterly earnings reports, right? They're they're Canadian publicly traded companies operating in the United States. They have cross-border issues, cross-tax issues. Their legal bill is going to be higher. Their, I mean, their accounting bills are much higher. I mean, the operating expenses are much higher, even more typical than a typical public company. But the, there, the one advantage I'd say is that there are kind of four or five publicly traded companies that look like as you see reform kind of take over will kind of be your Pepsi, Coke per se, however you want to look at the larger companies. I think those ones that have that kind of a lead are in a very interesting position as long as they can kind of hang on and we do get incremental reform. But myself, like running a cannabis business right now, I'd much rather be running a private company. You you mentioned regulations, and I know there's a lot of speculation that may get rescheduled. I I suspect that would be a a real nice benefit if if it was to be rescheduled from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3. Tell us how that would impact your business. Yeah, so, I mean, if you go back, I think it was a year ago right now, it was the Biden administration announced rescheduling. The process would start. And... I think everybody's a little skeptical because it came out really hot and then you don't hear anything for a while. And then the health secretary came out. So it honestly feels like the industry just is like kind of see it to believe it. But that has kind of taken process, due process the way it was supposed to. So I think people are just so negative on the industry that until it actually physically reschedules, no one's going to believe it's going to happen. But it has the greatest impact out of any legislation or banking or anything that's like kind of moving through the process now because essentially get rid of 280e right so the companies can take standardized deductions and in our case it would add if just like try to simplify the math we're doing 10 million dollars of free cash it would probably take us to more like 15 to 17 million dollars of free cash so it's, it's quite a dramatic hit and then depending on the structure of the businesses we're not 
we don't have as much debt as maybe some of the legacy operators, but I think they'd have even a more positive impact because they can't even deduct their interest expense on their debt. So all of a sudden, all that debt becomes interest expense they can deduct. And if you kind of look at these operators, whoever's got kind of the heaviest retail um, revenue forecasting or historicals, they're going to see the most benefit. So the wholesaler won't quite see as much of a benefit, but whoever has kind of the most retail revenue will see the most benefit. But I mean, it'll create a more competitive landscape, I think, for debt. I think we'll see more debt opportunities in the space. We'll see more people coming in the credit side. And I think you'll see a whole bunch of businesses not fail. I think if it doesn't happen and 280E kind of holds its ground and the industry has to continue to face it, I think the default rates will be immense. Yeah. So I think it's a safe haven for a whole bunch of people. And I think there's some people prepared for it and have always kind of forecasted nothing going right. And that's kind of how we're running our business now. Mm-hmm. We assume nothing's going to go right yeah. for our, for purposes of survival <laughs> or creating kind of profit. Or we view 280E as an expensive tax that we have to live with in our business. And so we literally underwrite when we're trying to buy something that we have to be able to produce a profit with that tax. But I'm cautiously optimistic. I was looking at this the other day, but if it's a politically motivated strategy to get the young vote out in 2024 by rescheduling cannabis, because you're not going to get full-blown legalization through the House and the Senate, the way I look at this is that the health secretary generally publishes it 110, day, 110 days later on average, a DEA response. There's a 60-day timeline for comments, and then it starts moving through the process. If you kind of think they want to get banged for the buck by next November, it leads me to believe that sometime between now and the beginning of February that we'll see the DEA come out with their letter of recommendation for Schedule 3. Man, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Yeah. I think it also gives you a huge not advantage, but at least put you on equal footing with the illicit market because then you're not unfairly being taxed in there and competing with someone that's not being unfairly taxed. We're cutting it close on time, but I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are curious about opportunities to potentially invest in your company or participate in your growth. Will there be any opportunities for investors to take part in what's going on with this opportunity? We'll keep raising 10 to 20 million at a time until we see some consolidation or an opportunity to exit. Mm -hmm. And we'll just keep buying one more deal at a time. We'll just keep doing that. We're not looking at any mega mergers or selling the business right now, but we have closed two deals this year. And so we're currently on a raise to raise enough capital to do another one. And we're just going to continue that process. Okay. Well, that's encouraging, and I'm sure our listeners will be be interested to learn more about the opportunity. I'll have links in the show notes, so if anybody wants to touch base with Jason, uh, just click the show notes and talk to him about where they're going, some more, maybe a little more detail as as to your future. But Jason, I really appreciate you being on the show today. This is it's interesting learning about your business, and I, I think we should try to schedule another interview so we can maybe talk a little bit more about the industry in a whole and where you see it going. That would be fun. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. 
If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your canna confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.